All aboard the History Express. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all my original listeners, welcome back. To all my new listeners, welcome. We hope you enjoy this episode of the History Express podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Salisbury Cathedral. Its spire, the tallest in England, gathers the smooth downs round it. And now come through the north gateway into the close. You're in another world. Great stretches of grass and billowing trees lead your eye to the soaring immensity of the cathedral. Close is a walled world of its own. The cathedral school, the canons in their houses, ever since the cathedral was built, its close has been a place for learning and teaching, and the choir now has then to sing. Goodbye. Say goodbye to Daddy, and uh, I'll see you in there. Goodbye. Have a lovely week. Hello. Bye. Bye. 32 boys and girls have come back to school early to prepare for one of the busiest times of their young lives, the week leading up to Easter, Holy Week. But these are no ordinary children. They are Salisbury Cathedral choristers, inheritors of one of Britain's oldest cultural traditions. This is the story of the chorister over the past 900 years up to the present day. The most musically gifted children singing day in, day out the most sublime music in the most beautiful buildings. Chorister is someone who sings in a cathedral for their job, but they're child singers. They sing normally just every day. Normally it's a boarding school where they go and they sing in the cathedral and that's their job. All right then, had a nice break. How many of you have not sung a note for about two weeks? Hands up. Good, well that's encouraging. Splendid. Salisbury Cathedral has two separate choirs of 8 to 13-year-olds. The boy choristers have sung at Salisbury for some 900 years, making them members of one of England's oldest choirs. The girls' choir is equally historic. It was founded in 1991, 
Salisbury being the first cathedral to grant girl choristers full equality, with identical duties and funding to the boys. What's the mood of today? The mood? It is rejoicing, isn't it? Isn't this a, a really good day? Because Jesus rode into Jerusalem in absolute triumph. So you, you don't need to walk around with a miserable look on your face today. You can f think of nice things like, oh, I don't know, Manchester City beating Manchester United. Yes. <laughs> and Salisbury City winning yesterday. Was that right, Basley? Did they win? Salisbury, you told me they did. Excellent. When I sing in the cathedral, it's just thrilling to just hear the sound echo after you've finished a piece or maybe a verse of a song. The building is amazing, and working in every day is just a really big bonus. Singing for choristers is kind of part of them. They've grown up with it, usually. And if you just said, you're not allowed to sing anymore, it's just... It would be like saying, kind of... <sighs> it would be like saying to a parent, you're not allowed to see your child again. Because, I mean, it's just part of you. You've grown so used to it that if you were never allowed to do it again, it would just be awful. The Salisbury choristers must work for the privilege of their subsidised private education. Salisbury Cathedral School, housed in the Old Bishop's Palace, is a co-educational prep school with 200 pupils. But for Holy Week, the choristers have the place to themselves. We definitely do a lot. We, of course, singing in the choir is the most prominent part of our lives, but we have to link in everything else, kind of our social life, our academic work, our own instrumental work. And that does get very, very busy at times. We don't really think of it as a negative thing. It's just something that happens from doing so much. Potential choristers are typically auditioned for the choir at the tender age of seven or eight. Okay. Now then, what are you going to sing for me? I'm going to sing the first verse of Away in a Manger. Thank you. Okay. One, two. These are very small human beings, but what I look for on that first occasion is, apart from a good musical ear, I just like that little bit of spark. Some of our best choristers have been the ones who've been untrained when they've come to us. When I came for my voice trial, I was only seven, and I was really quite nervous. That's a bit high, isn't it? And there was higher. this big, scary man sitting at the piano who I didn't know at all. Right. Are you ready? had to board because I actually live in London. Yeah, that's a funny one, wasn't it? The reason we chose here, partly, was that you can't go to any of the big cathedrals in London to be a chorister for your girl. 
and also this is a really good girls choir so I didn't really want to go anywhere else. Me and Cloak is warm in the winter and if someone in the winter throws snowball at you while you're wearing the cloak it just bounces off. Here's Noah, here's Luke. I have heard people saying, oh look, you look like Harry Potter. I just really ignore it. I quite like Harry Potter. <laughs> Sometimes children think we're sort of weird and actually we're not. If they did it, they'd think differently about us and what we do. And maybe they wouldn't sort of laugh at us when we walk around in our cassocks and look serious. Not all the choristers board, but during Holy Week it's obligatory as there are so many important Easter services to prepare. That's me. You're sleeping there. there. I'm here, I'm here. No, no, Peter's there. Alex is there and Alex Tan's down there. It's fun, but I sometimes get a bit homesick, which is really annoying. And it's quite weird because I live right around the corner, so it's really odd. Get changed, have a shower, and then go to bed. No, we're not going to bed. No, we're going outside. Outside. I'll watch TV. I'll watch TV. We, we have lots of choices, what to do. OK, boys, who's going to play cricket? Nearly everyone. In about half an hour, I will send the youngest ones uh, to go and just, um, just sort of have ten minutes or so of just quiet time in their room. Eight o'clock uh, is their actual bedtime. Oh, what have you done? Oh, you'll be fine. Just move your, move your thumb. Yes, you're fine. Hold on, let's go. Has it been a good day? Yeah. It's good to be back. Yeah. Sweet dreams, boys. Don't forget to go to sleep. Good night. Hi. Yes, folks. Um, it's Easter Sunday today, um, and we're doing a service in the cathedral, and there's loads of camera crews as well because it's being broadcasted. The um, Easter Day Eucharist is being broadcasted today. When we go in, it's going to be like, ah, there's going to be people watching us all over the country. But then it's, it's going to be quite fun once we get, get into it. Well, we can't sort of yawn in the middle of a piece or, like, get the words wrong or anything because it will look really stupid. I'm looking forward to singing the Mozart because it's one of my favourite pieces. Um, I'm also looking forward to the lunch. Um, and then I'm looking forward to going home. Easter and Christmas, the highest holidays of Salisbury Cathedral's year, are practically the only times when the cathedral's boy and girl choristers combine.
singing is something that Christian people do. It's an attitude of mind. I often say that there are two things about the Christian community. One, see how they love one another, and sometimes that is true. And secondly, they sing together. Music is right at the heart of what we do on Easter Day. We carry uh, the big message through the music. And it's the most extraordinary uh, large event. You know, I don't know how they keep their nerve in some ways, these little people, when they see a completely packed cathedral. And yet they do, and we have this most extraordinary celebration. As St. Augustine said, those who sing pray twice. Singing elevates the heart and mind and imagination, raises us up to a different plane, transporting us, giving us an ecstatic experience, taking us out of ourselves and our mundane level, but also binds us together. My daughter is the head chorister, and this is her last Easter, which is, I think for the parents, it's quite sad because we've lived this choral life for the last few years, and uh, it becomes part of life, and it'll be sad. At the cathedral school, the summer term has started, but while the rest of their classmates are still in bed, the chorister's day has already begun. The big chorister bell goes at 10 to 8 in the morning, and we go and get our cloaks, and then we go and line up. The choristers practice twice a day. They work 16 hours in a normal week over and above their regular schooling and will sing more than 150 different anthems and other works in the cathedral over the course of the summer term. The boys have only got a few weeks to learn from scratch one of England's finest pieces of church music, the Victorian composer Stanford's classic Magnificat in G. Now then, 
go in your time machine to Mr. Stanford, who was born in which country? Um, Wrong. England. Wrong. Ireland. Yeah, he was Irish. Now then, one of the things that we sing all the time, nearly every day, Louis, are the words, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Yes, it's called the Magnificat. Question is, who can tell me what those words mean? And who first sang them? And what are they about? OK, yep. Yeah. Um, Mary first sang them. Mary first sang them. When and why? Take your time. I must rush you at this point. Countdown. <laughs> Representing those with a broken limb. Yep. Um, the Annunciation. That's right. Meaning? Um, oh, now you're asking. Um, <laughs> well, it's a great word. It's when she was told... Oh, she was going to have Jesus. That's right, going to have a baby. It has a treble solo, and I want three of you to have a go at it. You, Noah, you, Freddie, and you, Finbar, OK? You three are going to have a go, all together. So, looking alert, good luck. Today's the first time the boys have seen the music. Another go at that. The first um, couple of notes were a bit of an accident, weren't they? Got to be. Think of something lovely. Think of your girlfriend with flowing hair, presenting you with a large Easter egg or something. Anything. Just to put your hand up, it just shows me that you know that you've made a mistake. It's not that I'm going to then throw a book at you or something. It means that I know that you know, okay? Which is it's important, isn't it? If you know you've made a mistake, the chances are you might possibly, possibly get it right the next time. Music and Christian worship have always been inextricably linked, but for its first thousand years or so in Salisbury, it would not have sounded much like Stamford's Mag in G. When in the year 596, Pope Gregory the Great sent Christianity to southern England, he is said to have dispatched singers to teach the Anglo-Saxons to sing in the Latin way, Gregorian chants, plain song. Singing is the way you speak in church. If you go into some very resonant churches and you hear somebody speaking, then the range of intonation and inflection actually becomes a blur. 
if you start to speak at a very single level, then it becomes much clearer, both your vowels and your consonants. And if that then gradually turns into singing, and then you can mark a full stop or a comma, and you start shaping the words. Eighty, perhaps ninety percent of what was sung was on a monotone with little decorations to show where the punctuation goes. So you mark the beginning of the psalm, then you sing on a monotone, then you inflect, you have a break, you sing again, and then you have the ending. I don't like plain song because it's quite boring. It's not the type of music that I usually sing, and it's different. It doesn't have the kind of musical fireworks that you'd expect from the big pieces of Parry or Stanford. But when I say to the choristers, imagine that hundreds of years ago, people just like you were singing music just like this. It puts it in perspective for them. And I've got to be very, very careful with this, because this is so... Wow. Beautiful, look at this. This is plain song. Yeah. All of this was handwritten. Yeah. Different colours, probably for different people to actually speak these passages. This is a book which the person taking the Eucharist would probably have used. So it's like a missal? It is, yes, or it's called a breviary, isn't it? Yes? <laughs> it's like a service book. It's not just wall-to-wall -wall music. It's, as you can see, lots of bits which have no music at all. It's illuminated to make it absolutely beautiful. See, this is like gold leaf, isn't it? Is yeah. It? Oh, I wow. suppose I shouldn't really touch it, should I? You've got the four lines, the red ones, yeah? Loque bantor various linguis as postele alleluia. So I reckon this would go like this. See? And then going on. Though now nearly 800 years old, Salisbury Cathedral is officially the Cathedral of New Sarum. The original cathedral, almost certainly home to the first child choristers, lies a couple of miles up the road. OK, boys. Seatbelts on, fellas. Just as English history is traditionally supposed to work, the choir story really does seem to start with William the Conqueror. The cathedral at Old Serum was established soon after 1066. This was no remote monastery for monks leading inward-looking contemplative lives. Old Serum, with its royal castle, town and cathedral, was one of the key addresses in Norman England. The most important of the buildings there was for the bishop. And the bishop is the key figure here, by far the most important person. In fact, the bishop in the early 12th century was second in England after the king. So he was an immensely powerful man. The bishop and his senior canons were worldly men, often called away by affairs of church and state. But the cathedral's purpose remained its divine office, chanted services eight times a day, 
each a regulated order of psalms, hymns, prayers and canticles, as well as sung masses. OK, we're standing right here, which is at the entrance to the choir, which is where the singers would have sung the services. Now, behind us is the nave. Were there boys here when I asked? Almost certainly, yes. Right when this cathedral was built in the 11th century, services were sung certainly by men. They were called lay vicars, and they were usually men who weren't priests, just like our lay vicars now in the new cathedral, yeah? Our word vicar, in fact, emerges from this use. Someone employed to stand in vicariously at a service in another's place. The bishop and many canons had subcontracted their tasks, and for that, no doubt, boys came in very handy. I can't imagine that they would have boys on site who didn't sing. They would have had singing men, and they must have included boys in the singing of the daily services. This, then, was the origin of the chorister. Boys plucked from the neighborhood and given a little Latin and basic education. They were fit to take part in singing the divine office and do every chore asked of them in return for board and lodging. But though there's no evidence they were chosen for any musical ability, the very nature of their treble voices would eventually help change the history of sacred music. The Cathedral Church of the Blessed Virgin Mary at New Sarum, today's Salisbury Cathedral, is one of the wonders of medieval Christendom. It has the tallest spire in England, the largest cloister, and the biggest precinct. Built of 70,000 tons of stone on foundations only four feet deep, it was completed in just 38 years. This was a far cry from windswept, waterless, cramped old Sarum. They were looking down a mile or two into beautiful, lush valleys with plenty of water and a much better place to live. It allowed them to do all of the things they had begun to develop, their patterns of liturgy, which often involved procession inside and outside the building and around the cloisters and so on. And uh, they seized that with both hands. The new cathedral was consecrated in 1258, and thanks to one rare volume in the cathedral library, we know exactly what everyone's roles and responsibilities were. To find out what the boys really do, well, indeed, what everybody does, you have a book of rules, if you like, a so-called customary, and this is a fantastic manuscript. This dates from the early years of the new cathedral, and in it, in the first part, and in the last part, in this very close written text, is telling you what items to sing all through the year at each service. And in the middle, this lays down everybody's roles for different days of the year. So it starts at the beginning here, describing what the dean's duties are, the presenters, the chancellors, and the treasurers. And then it moves in to deal with who sits where, how they're sat, and the boys sit on the front row, just as they do now. This was very frequent and very complicated sung liturgy in a vast new church, providing the foundation for church services for centuries across Britain. It was known as the Serum Rite, and much of it survived the Reformation, finding its way into the Book of Common Prayer. And it wouldn't have been possible without the boys. If you take Salisbury, 
Yes, there were 52 canons by the time the cathedral moved here. But those people are busy people, just as the canons now are. They needed 52 vicars or substitutes who were the workhorses who sustained worship each day. And then you need the front row of people who will do, again, more dogs bodying of sustaining worship. But the boys have got not only singing duties, but also a great deal of ceremonial duties. And indeed, until probably the 15th century, their ceremonial duties are every bit as important as their musical. The boys were housed with the canons in the newly built cathedral close. And as at Old Serum, they also had to minister to the canon's every need. If anything, despite the splendid surroundings, their condition even worsened. They were pretty badly treated, right the way up to the mid-19th century. Of course, if you ask my choristers now, they might say they're still badly treated. Some of the choristers now think they're quite hard done by, that they do a lot of work. and. I mean, they do get a lot out of it, but it doesn't seem that while you're actually doing it. But, I mean, then it must have been actually a lot harder than it is now. Well, food can't have been very good either, because well, there wasn't much food to be had. If you wanted vegetables or anything, you had to farm them. You only had meat as a special treat, really. We eat very well here. We have kind of breakfast, break, lunch, little tea, supper. But then, they wouldn't have those three meals a day. Well, they must have been hungry a lot of the time. By the 14th century, many canons spent most of their time in Rome, and Salisbury's 14 boy choristers were left to fend for themselves. Yeah, the bread is really nice. Like little children, they asked for bread, but cannot find anyone to break a piece for them. They're compelled of necessity to go round flocking to crave a beggar's dole each day, so as to get enough fiddles to keep the wolf from the door. In time, the boys' basic conditions did improve slightly, and they were no longer forced to live with or wait on the canons. Instead, for the first time, they were chosen primarily for their musical skills. Local boys were to be recruited. Unless perchance strangers, being also of good character, show much greater excellence in music. Up till then, the choir is the assembled body of the clergy from boys up to the oldest who are sustaining daily worship. Then you find that you get a separate group of people, a small group of boys and a small group of vicars, and you're starting to get a little unit. And it's this little unit, now focused more fully on music and chosen for musical ability, who between 13 and 1500 gradually and perhaps by accident, discover a new way of making music. One of the things you taught boys in the later Middle Ages was how to look at the chant and know how, taking the chant in the middle, you could imagine it down a bit lower and then sing it octave higher, and that gives you a second part, and then underneath that you have a third part, and that gives you three parts, a chord, and that runs along. And so you could get a group of people who could come and look at a piece of chant, and one of them would start, and the other two would start improvising, kind of a medieval jam session, um, if, if slightly more highbrow than that. This was a revolutionary moment. Different singers with different vocal ranges, singing different parts. What we understand as the choir had been born. As it were. 
Now, we're going to look at some music by John Shepherd. Now, this piece is part of a service we're singing on Thursday, which is a reconstruction of what would have been done in an ancient service, which means there's lots of plain song, but there's also quite a lot of music for four parts. Gloria in excelsis Deo. In a normal week, the boys and girls will split nine services in the cathedral between them. But for the boys, Thursday's evening service will be rather tricky, recreating the complex ritual of medieval worship at Salisbury. When the celebrant actually starts the Gloria, you do the sign of the cross, yes? Four points, okay? Do it. Head, tummy button, left, right. Okay? All right? This is what they did. This is what they did. Isn't it great? By the 16th century, Salisbury's boy choristers were already under professional musical direction. And now, celebrated composers began to write increasingly complicated multi-part music for them. Polyphony. John Shepherd was a major composer who specialised in this sort of music. And what he does is combine um, plain song verses with these choral verses. your plain song and then it goes into what is called polyphony quite simple This has a very old feel to it, which is wonderfully worshipful, and a bit of incense adds to the atmosphere. Doing these reenactments, it's really exciting to see all the ceremonial, all the chant, and those soupçons of polyphony, and indeed bringing this building to life. I came up to the high altar and I was holding the book for the presenter. Centuries ago they were probably doing the same thing and it would be quite tricky. I don't see how they could do it every single day. It's just totally nerve-wracking. boys listen to me it went very well I thought and I don't know what the bowing and stuff was like behind me but it felt just about right I'm sure I made some mistakes 
But just think that you are recreating what was done all the time in this wonderful building. Thank you all very much. It's fascinating, this is the way to do it. It didn't just sound like wall-to-wall -wall Latin, it sounded like worship. Yeah. Or it felt to me like worship. I know I was doing all the busy bits up uh, yeah. the altar. But a lot of, I mean, everybody else was following. Yes. That was jolly fun, wasn't it? We're ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have a good evening? Yeah. yeah. It's a great evening. Don't know. Right, now it's after lights. None of this chatting. I don't right. think you're going to expect to have any chatting because I'm short and tired. Good. Good night, Good cathedrals competed for the most musically gifted boys. They were known to pay premiership-style transfer fees to secure them, and choristers were sometimes even kidnapped by rival cathedrals. Salisbury's top boys today are about to find out who's going to sing the solo in Stanford's Mag in G. After only two rehearsals, either Freddie, Finbar, or Noah will be picked to sing what is widely regarded as one of the treble solos in a chorister's repertoire. Let's split the solo up. Finbar, you started off, and then, Noah, you do the next bit when I look at you, and you do the next bit, Freddie, when I glare at you. Ready, Finn? It's just part of our life that we have solos. Um, some solos we do get, some solos we don't get. Well done. I don't think I will feel disappointed if I don't get the solo. Eight out of ten for that. I've had so many, and it's good to let someone else have one for once. It feels really good. It's not as bad as the first time I did it, where I was shaking so much. You're doing a really good job, all three of you. This is really, really, really good. Yes, Noah? They've missed that arrest. Thank you, Noah. Yes, I have. Excellent. Now, I think what I'm going to do... I think, Finn, I'm going to get you to do this, OK? All right? Yeah, fine. Good man. You two, you'll be fine. There'll be other solos to do, OK? Loads of other solos. So, yes, don't look so relieved. OK. Secretly, um, in my heart, it would have been good to do a brand new solo and say that this is me, I sight read this once and I'm the best, but that's sort of boastful. Um, I'm pleased for Finbar, but I'm also quite envious of him because I really like that. Um, I am pleased with myself because I got the solo and Freddie didn't. Freddie and Noah didn't, so I got chosen. I don't want the other guys to hear. It's quite important to keep it off. By the 1540s, the Sarum Rite, elaborate musical services with boys playing a prominent role, was made the official form of service in England and Wales. 
But the new theology of Protestantism was gaining ground in Europe, and Henry VIII's marital troubles ushered in the break from Rome. Suddenly, almost everything that defined Salisbury Cathedral was under threat. There would have been catastrophic changes as regards people like the musicians and the clergy here, because all of the things they took for granted about the long-running tradition of this place and its music and worship were suddenly turned over and were changed out of all recognition. Henry VIII's son, a very Protestant Edward VI, decreed that all remnants of Catholicism should be excised from worship. Page upon page has got lines through, this is the bidding of the beads, now crossed out. And sections here of all the relics, which of course relics became quite unacceptable, so it's just blacked out. They got rid of them all. So there's a great deal of change going on um, in, in the way the, the, the cathedrals worship and theology and spirituality is changing. The extraordinary thing is that in spite of this, the choirs survive. A lot of composers throughout history have had to adapt to changes of monarch or political pressure. And William Byrd was no exception. I think Byrd was perhaps the greatest composer that England ever had. Um, and perhaps had he not been a Roman Catholic, then his international reputation might have been that much greater. That he survived in a Protestant environment is an indication of the respect he had. Byrd wrote, I think, one of the finest pieces of church music. It's called Ave Verum Corpus. If I played you these two chords, which is A minor, which is E major, what would come next? And sometimes I get the choristers to actually come round to the piano and play a chord and they'll play something silly. A lot of them would do this. Here are the two chords, and they might go, which is great. This is what William Byrd does. Which is the most extraordinary chord sequence. It's still as wonderful and exciting as it was when it was first heard. This beautiful piece, which has poignant words, beautiful music, is even more impressive when you think of the turbulent times in which it was written.
Such is their busy workload, time off for the choristers is precious. The girls are on duty Mondays and Wednesdays, the boys sing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and both choirs share weekend duties. Usually I get my sleep back on Saturday evenings if I'm not doing the Sunday morning, I can sleep in. You do sometimes think, I really don't want to do this. I just want to go back to the boarding house. And you do get very tired because, I mean, once a term, you get a weekend off. But soon you kind of forget what it was like. So you just don't think we're doing a lot more than other children. It just kind of happens. Quite often, I feel I just want to go home and finish off my prep because after even song, most of the times, I've got lots of prep to do. And that's just killing almost. <laughs> it's now practice number three of Stamford's Mag in G. Finbar's been learning his solo on his own, but has only sung it twice with the other boys. for a bit more diction. It's a little bit... Make your mouth work, OK? And just be a bit careful on that second note. Just relax. Really tune up to the organ. Stop. It's slightly sharp. Just really, really tune into the organ. You just need to be a bit careful of F-sharps. They're getting very sharp. Really, really listen, okay? Words. It's written there. Okay? Yeah. Yes, that's what yeah. we're all about. Okay, let's have another go. A little darker. Okay, after three. One, two, go. Finbar's voice is a pure, clear voice, which is nice to listen to. And you can see Mr. Hawes likes it. His voice is still developing, though, and like a boy of 12, of course, it's developing, and then it's going to go. So I, I firmly predict for the next year, if I'm lucky, he'll be a top singer for us. That's well done. That's it, boys. Good. You fellas, keep up the energy, OK? Just really, really concentrate, yes? Don't be sloppy. Don't make silly mistakes, OK? Well done. It could be very, very good. Try, I know it's difficult. Try and relax, in a way. You know, just enjoy it. It's lovely. The rest of you are doing really well. Um, I'm feeling quite nervous about my solo, actually. Um, really kind of wishing it's over. Get, get, it, get on with it. Yeah. Bed time now, so let's go. Well done, up you go. Thank you. Right, stop protracting lights out. Good trick, but it hasn't worked. Um, lights out, please, Ben. Well done. Good night, boys. Love you lots. See you in the morning. God bless.
Despite all the turbulence of the Reformation under the Tudors, there's only been one moment without singing in Salisbury Cathedral's long history, after Oliver Cromwell's victory in the English Civil War. There was a lot of violence, and there was a, there was a battle actually in the close here. The fixtures in the cathedral, the statues of the saints, many of them were smashed up. Effectively, everything was dispersed, and the boys would have been dispersed. The cathedral carried on. The mayor was in charge after that. The mayor of Salisbury effectively took over, and there was a Presbyterian-type um, church uh, in the cathedral, so worship did probably carry on, but certainly not with music. There were no choristers at Salisbury for a decade. Yet even while they were told that singing was an insult to God, Cromwell employed two choristers in his entourage to sing after dinner. No wonder, when the Restoration came in 1660, choristers swiftly returned along with the monarchy. If ever there was a situation where a cathedral had to stop having children as their choristers, then I would take heart from the 1650s because it can come back. And those people who are doom and gloom about this perhaps ought to know that in the past, if there's a will, there's a way. And that way, in Restoration England, was led by one-time boy chorister, arguably England's greatest composer, Henry Purcell. Purcell wrote both sacred and secular music that was innovative and modern, informed by the latest French and Italian styles. But it was steeped in the pre-Reformation sacred tradition. If you take a piece like Henry Purcell's Hear My Prayer, O Lord, which is just a fragment of what was going to be a bigger anthem, then you hear this grand polyphonic style still there, the voices coming in one by one, imitatively. But now with this scrunchy harmony, a really powerful and emotive piece. Purcell's Hear My Prayer is one of those pieces in the cathedral repertoire which makes it all worthwhile. It's just as good as the bird, Ave Verum. It's absolutely magnificent. It lasts, I think, two minutes. And it is pure genius from one bar to the next.
when I sing, it feels re really special because people from all around the world come to hear us sing. And we sing lots of very different and interesting magic services. And some moments, like when it's really loud music, you can hardly hear yourself, especially with Noah's right next to me. It's a good feeling and it almost sends nice, warm little shivers down my spine, as if you've just walked into a fire on a cold winter's day. And it feels a bit like that. Musical standards today are probably the best they've ever been. It's likely the late 17th century was the nadir. There are reports the organist was regularly drunk or absent, and there was fighting and bad language in the chorister's pews. For 230 years from 1716, the choristers lived here at Wren Hall. So 16 boys lived here, spent all their time here. Now, you might be very surprised to know that the choristers were extremely badly behaved on occasions. And we, we know from one chorister in particular who was called John Harding, he became a chorister because he was replacing a boy who had been expelled because he had just stabbed the head chorister called John Arnold. So what I'd like you to do, everybody, is have a look around this room and see if you can find anything at all to do with John Arnold. There's a seventeen forty-seven. Yeah, first thing you saw was empty. Yeah, there's seventeen. There's eighteen. Yes, there's seventeen oh one over there. Is there? Where? Yeah. Where? Mr. Greenfield. Mr. Greenfield. Mr. Greenfield. Mr. Greenfield. Just found his name up there on the cupboard. <laughs> so you found his name. Marvelous. Now why do you think it's up there? Freddie. Was it his cupboard? It was his cupboard, yes, exactly. What happened to them when they were naughty? Well, what do you think happened to them? They were caned, yes. They could be caned quite brutally, actually. Really, really brutally. An old chorister told me at the weekend that he was caned and he had, a bru he had bruises on his leg for a month afterwards, so that must have really hurt. Are we ready? <laughs> What was effectively sometimes little short of neglect and abuse at Salisbury mirrored the plight of choristers nationwide. A 19th century spinster, Maria Hackett, was so appalled by their treatment that she visited every cathedral in England to investigate. Salisbury got off rather lightly in her report. Maria Hackett would become known as the chorister's friend. She saw them as children at risk, innocent, godly, and precious.
There's something about children's voices which make it incredibly special. I think it is a beautifully pure instrument. Young, well-trained singers singing the most beautiful music that we have in existence, really. The 18th and early 19th centuries had seen the Church of England relatively eclipsed, even marginalized. But Victorian England witnessed extraordinary religious revival, and with it came the finest English church music, with composers like Wesley, Parry, and Stanford. Finbar's big moment has arrived. If you're sitting in Evensong, and you hear the organ start the rippling accompaniment of Stanford's Magnificat in G. You know what's going to happen. You wonder which boy is going to sing it. For me, I can see a series of boys just starting that piece and the eye contact you have with the boy to encourage them on and then just believing in them and the whole choir willing that solo. It's a most fantastic experience.
When I hear Finbar sing, it's just amazing. Obviously, I'm hugely proud of him, but it's always mixed with terror. All parents are terrified that their children are going to go wrong. You stand there and think, oh, the big moment's coming. But I know from the first note he sings that it's going to be hugely confident and, and it's great. And then I relax and I do enjoy it. I just really hope that one day I'll be able to do that solo. <laughs> and for, like, because Ollie will be my age compared to Finbar if I did that. And just for him to think, oh, wow, he's a good singer. <laughs> As I thought about Finbar tonight, he was just brilliant for the soloist. Over the last century or so, Choristers have helped sustain worship in an established church confronted by falling attendances. It has witnessed dramatic social change and offered spiritual leadership in troubled times. Eight former choristers were among the school alumni killed in the First World War. But life on Choristers Green has always remained somewhat timeless. The oldest surviving Salisbury chorister is Michael Shiner. I think I must have been about eight for that one. What dates were you, were you in the choir? 1928, 1929, right up to 1932. What was your favourite part of being a chorister? Just being. Just being, literally. Uh, I absorbed every single bit of it. I love my time here. Did you like playing cricket here? Yes. And I fielded, if I possibly could, either at deep square leg or at deep mid-off. There were very few people allowed in the close, and a lot of time, elderly ladies, they'd come and sit on the, the seats. Then, quite suddenly, you would hear, Psst! And I used to turn round, and there, the elderly lady sat, she'd beckon me over. Would you like a sweet? And then the over would be over, and I'd hastily pretend I hadn't been anywhere near it. So there won't be enough for everybody. Well, I have to give him one. We lived for the cathedral. That was our prime purpose, to sing in the cathedral and um, behave um, as the old ladies of the close used to say, like little angels. In my day, I mean, the choir master and organist of the cathedral was Sir Walter Alcock. He was a marvellous man. He was quietly a sort of father to us, um, but there was a boundary over which you did not intrude. Once a year you were invited to a tea party at his house, and he had a model railway wintering round the garden, 
And uh, it was one of these railways on which you could ride. And if you were very good and well behaved, you were permitted to ride round the garden and the railway. We used to have a scrumptious tea. And um, you know, that, that was really a highlight of the, of the year. I, I can remember that. Like many Salisbury masters of choristers before and since, Walter Alcock himself added to the canon of sacred choral music. He wrote his Sanctus for the coronation of George V in 1911. Starts with the word holy, of course. <clears throat> comes in with so it sort of starts right in the depths got a high a flat for the boys and then there's some big chords and on the page turn a top a The music then winds down to a very peaceful end. and I play the piano. Jazz Bikes is a musical club which we do at lunchtime on Friday. It's quite nice to stop being singing and play a bit of jazz because, well, there's improvising where you need to make up the music as you go along. But with church music, it's all set before you. Awesome. As the summer term nears its end and the year eights prepare to leave the school, there are a couple of big decisions to be made. Who will be the next head choristers from the current batch of year sevens? In the boys' choir, the head is known as the bishop's chorister, and in the girls, she's the dean's chorister. What we look for in a head chorister is a mixture of things. We need a good singer, clearly. 
and they need to be able to hold their own and lead the others in terms of the music. But there are other things as well. There's leadership qualities which are important to me, in, often in, in areas outside the choir stalls. You know, just marching the children over to the cathedral and back, looking after them when we do a concert. I mean, I can't be everywhere at once. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> this, this isn't even about this thing. We're just talking about tennis. Yeah. Boys, <laughs> oh, you're just tools. Yeah, yeah we could. Oh, we're talking about tennis. Yeah. You're going to keep your yeah. hand. Yeah. Any tears? No. No. We're awesome. You'll be fine. You'll all be fine. I'm really nervous. I don't know. I just am. I'm always nervous when something like this happens, like something big. All the girls cry at the end. It's huge. First of all, though, I tell you what I wanted to say to you. Um, I think you've been fantastic this year. Really, really good. So, Sebastian and Jack, you're going to be the turners. Thank you. Yep. Finn, you're going to be the vestry monitor. And Freddie, you're going to be the bishop's chorister. So, congratulations. You don't have to say anything. You just you can just disappear now and um, think about that. Well done. OK, so the way out, boys, is going to be that way, OK? okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies, your time has come. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Thanks. It's make it I'm really pleased with myself about being Bishop's Chorister, and I'm really pleased for the others. OK, you ready for this? It's like the X Factor, isn't it? Helena, Kelly, Georgiana and Hermione. Those are the Turners. And the Presenters Chorister will be Rosanna. And the Dean's Chorister is Flora. So, congratulations. Your way out is that door there if you'd like to lead off Helena that would be great and I'll see you later girls thank you very much leave the door open Rosanna your dad's waiting in reception go and see him darling go and tell him <laughs> Kelly it's all right darling it's all right Where's the, where's the top one there? Flora. Oh. Hi, Mummy. I'm Head Rosanna's dad. <laughs> 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 Don't start crying. <laughs> he went along the line. It was Helena first in the line, then it was Kelly, then it was Georgiana. And I think he was going to point at me for Turner, and then he went to George Hermione. And then he said, the presenter's chorister is Rosanna. I was just like, hang on, who's left? And it was me. I was so happy. Give you time to clean teeth and hop into bed, and I'll come and see you in a bit, all right? Good girl, I'm really proud of you. Well done, darling. Good girl. Who have you got in here, then? I cannot play with you. My dolly's got the feet. Give hot and measles, too. So down the dreamy flight. Look at the sailor's door. I have no idea why I still spit me. I'm, I'm still think, wondering about that, and by the end I'm finished being at Chorister. I'll still be thinking about why he chose me. Twenty years ago, there were no cathedrals in the Church of England that allowed girls to become full-time choristers. 
Salisbury was the first to break ranks. Now, 25 other Anglican cathedrals have followed Salisbury's lead. Singers in choirs are not just boys. Not only boys are gifted with musical sense, as we all know. And also, we live in times where this idea of only boys and only men can do things is a lot of nonsense. And the church, too, perhaps a bit late in the day, has also had to learn that lesson and wanted to embody the idea of men and women sharing ministries of all kinds, whether as priests or choristers. We all have a place within the divine economy, and this should be reflected in the way that uh, the church organizes itself. In 1991, the Church of England was going through one of its greatest changes since Henry VIII split with Rome passionately divided about whether to ordain women. So Salisbury's decision to start a separate choir for girls was truly radical. It's all very well having a pipe dream like this, but putting it into practice is a completely different thing. I had to get a yes from the dean, the presenter, the rest of chapter. I had to get a yes from the six men in the choir. And I think had there been any, any one of them that really said, Richard, you know, if you do this, then I'm off, or you shouldn't do this. But it was, it was a wonderful yes all the way down the line. I'm hugely grateful to have lived at a time of rapid uh, social change about women. You know, I think of all of those uh, girls and women, musically able, had no possibility of it ever happening for them. And so I, I look at our choristers and I think, aren't you lucky? And I think, aren't I lucky to have lived at a time when the opportunities for women uh, changed pretty rapidly, actually. It does make you feel very important to be doing this. Singing is something you have, and it is something that is inside you, and I, that's what singing means to me. It's just something that I'm able to do. OK, girls, we're going to do the Gaelic blessing of John Rutter. Now, he wrote a piece for the royal wedding, didn't he? Was it good? I liked it. I liked it. It was really Unfortunately, I didn't hear it. You think it was odd? Yeah. I'll tell him. I'll give him your address. Are you ready? The majority reaction to having a girls' choir has been a delight, euphoria even. Uh, and when you see the girls perform, who could resist them? And yet, I regularly get a copy of the newsletter on my desk that is pledged to oppose girls' choirs. I get offensive letters from people who tell me girls can't sing. And a minority of people still think that we have sold the pass with the English choral tradition.
good girl soon, mate. Quick as you can, please. Girls, really quick. I need to see uniform going on now, please. We need to leave in 20 minutes, which includes packing. Every year, Salisbury Cathedral necessarily loses up to a third of its choristers. For ten children, this will be their very last day as a chorister. I think I'll miss being a chorister. I think it'll be definitely a good memory and something to have done. I'm finding it hard to sing the top notes because my voice is starting to change. I'm sort of leaving the boy of me behind. It's an almost sense of loyalty that makes it and pride that makes being a chorister great. Chorister's blazer. That's right. That's right. It's really sad. Uh, I can't believe it's our last day. It's gone so fast. I remember when I first came into the boarding house. We've got two more services left, and then it's home time, and um, then starting at a new school. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's quite a really scary thought. The handing down of the tradition is, of course, vital. It's what the church more or less works on. But certainly, in terms of choirs, you rely on things to be handed from one chorister age group to another. This incredible feeling that you're only part of a timeline, a, a tiny part, I find very humbling, thinking I'm just a small part of this, and those choristers are a small part, but vital. I am handing down not just the burden of tradition, but I'm also handing down, I hope, a love of music to the children, who I hope will pass it on to their children. 
because that's probably the most important thing to me. And I just want them to understand that, for whatever reason, what we do is desperately important. I will keep it on for the rest of my life, and I'll always love to hear music and love to play it. And I think that after having been a chorister here, I think that everybody in the choir will want to keep on singing. My fondest memory will be with my friends, actually. I think I'd look back and say, what great time I had with my friends singing. It's just what I did best. And now I think I'm ready to move on, as you do, and you get older. I think being part of history itself is pretty cool. You could say everyone's part of history. But to be a chorister is leaving something behind for someone else to find in the future about you. Every century has contributed towards this wonderful legacy, and nobody's going to tell me that that's going to be confined to the dust. It'll go on. Boys, boys and girls will always want to sing. I mean, people are, people are there happiest when they're singing. that if you turned up in Salisbury in 800 years' time, you'll find girls and boys and men singing music. Of course, they should be singing music which is contemporary to them, but you can't ignore the past. It's what, what gives us the, the foundation for all that we do. Good, well done, it's tr tremendous stuff. Tea and sticky buns, is that right? Well, lemon drizzle, no doubt. But uh, thanks ever so much. It's a good service. Great stuff from everybody. Don't be upset. One door closes, another opens. Doesn't it? OK. Shall we lead off, please? Go. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Express podcast.
If you enjoyed this episode, then please look in the show description notes for a link that will allow you to help support the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, have a great day.